And yeah, it can sound like, hey, are we gonna reward them by you know taking them surfing or whatever that may be? And the answer is, it's not a reward, but yes, we're going to have fun in a very healthy way because they don't know that they can have fun healthily. For a lot of them, they don't think they can have fun without their Xbox. They don't think they can have fun without their phone. They don't think they can have fun without weed. And if we can have fun while we're doing hard, gritty work at the same time and pushing them and challenging them and introducing them to discomfort, and we can have fun along the way, we're going to give them a whole new life skill. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Hopestream. If you're parenting a teen or young adult child who's experimenting with drugs and alcohol or who's in active addiction, treatment, or early recovery, you're in the right place. I am Brenda Zane, your host and a mom who has been there. So just take a minute to exhale, know you're in good company, and just know this is your place to soak up support, understanding, and get some really great information. You can learn more about me and the work I do to serve parents like you at brendazane.com. A few weeks ago, I attended a conference where I got to meet the owners and therapists from treatment programs for young adults, meaning people who are 18 or older, and usually between 18 and 25-ish. I learned so much, and I also got to connect and reconnect with a lot of people in the field of adolescent and young adult mental health and substance use treatment. And I will tell you what, these are some of the coolest and most dedicated people out there, and they work with a really tough population, our kids who have the choice to get help or not to get help. And so they have to know how to offer programs that young people are willing to go to and stay at. And they also have to know how to talk and interact with young people in a way that builds trust and connection in a really short amount of time. So in the coming months, you're going to hear from some of these folks because I have found that they have insights and information that we can glean about our kids, about the things that they do and that they learn while they're in treatment, and even ways that we can learn to talk with them so that they're more open to considering treatment. Today, you are going to hear from one of those people, Andrew Taylor, the founder of Pure Life Adventure and Octagon Mentoring. He grew up in the outdoors and spent his college summers as a river guide on the upper Colorado River. He graduated from the University of Utah with a degree in organizational communication and then went to Costa Rica in search of whitewater rafting. While he was there, he fell in love with the Costa Rican people and all of the adventure activities that happened there. He's been running adventure trips in Costa Rica since 2004. You'll hear today how he figured out how to take that love of Costa Rica outdoor adventures and therapy and combine them together to help young people. And you're also going to hear how an international adventure experience can be a good idea for a young person who's having challenges with mental health and even some substance use, which I had a lot of questions about, as you can imagine. We also hear what Andrew and his team are seeing in young adults as a result of COVID and a lot more. It's a wide-ranging conversation that you'll want to hear, so I will let you do just that. I know you're going to get some great nuggets and takeaways from this conversation with Andrew Taylor, and I'll see you on the other side. 
Andrew, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Uh, we had the good fortune of getting to hang out um, a couple weeks ago at a conference. And so that sparked this idea to have you on because there's a lot of things we can talk about. Um, but welcome to Hope Stream. Can't believe I haven't had you on yet. This is a little surprising. So I'm glad you're here. Yeah, I've been waiting. It's about time. <laughs> You've over, been over there tapping your fingers. When's it going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> waiting for my call. <laughs> waiting for the call. Well, now we're doing it. We're finally doing it. So we have a lot of stuff to dive into, but I would love for you to just share with people who are listening a little background on who you are and how you came to be doing what you're doing today, because I think it's really unique and cool and would love to share that before we get into all the other stuff. Yeah, cool. So I grew up in the outdoors in Utah, in the mountain skiing and hiking and camping. And it kind of lit a passion for me. And in college, I, I applied to be a river guide. So I worked as a river guide for two summers. Loved that. That took me to, I then applied for a job working at Outward Bound in Costa Rica and loved that. Every step into that sort of arena just kept lighting a fire for me. And that evolved into an adventure travel company where I was just doing like adventure trips for families. And that that evolved into adventure therapy. And I think at every step in that journey, the common thread was every time I was, you know, as a river guide or at Outward Bound or running my own trips and my own company, I just saw the impact of adventure and outdoors on families and people in general and youth and myself just the positive influence that it had in terms of life changing stuff. And that's when, you know, I kind of realized there were people, you know, applying therapy to this, you know, beautiful uh, experience that, you know, for me, I was like, yeah, that's it. That's what I was born to do. Um, and I feel like that's kind of been my call. And so I founded Pure Life Adventure 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago. And we work with young adults with depression and anxiety and um, all that comes with it um, and surrounds it and um, provide them therapy and take them surfing and, you know, show them some really positive coping mechanisms. And um, and that evolved, has evolved into a coaching and mentoring um, practice I have as well called Octagon Mentoring and Coaching. So. Oh, so I am trying to imagine how do you go from you're leading your own adventures and then you just go, oh, I'm going to just do therapy. Like, how did that, <laughs> that, that seems like a big transition. How did that come about? I mean, you said like you, that you saw the transformation that was happening with people. Um, but I think a lot of people would have just been like, oh, well, this is a really cool gig. I'm going to do this and, but not taking it to that next level. So what made you kind of go that next level? Being from Utah, there are, you know, it's kind of where wilderness therapy started. So I just started asking around and talking okay. to people and connected with some professionals that had a lot of experience and knew, knew the therapy part. I knew Costa Rica really well. I knew logistics and risk management. And I, I had the passion for the human side of it, the deeper side, although I was not a therapist. Um, I did get, you know, my substance abuse counseling certificate, um, did not get licensed, so I can't claim it anymore, but I got <laughs> educated and did a, had experience doing it. I can, I'm a little bitter about that, that, that I can't <laughs> claim it anymore, but, but I have the background. And so I'd worked at, you know, some with, you know, some rehab and addiction centers 
as I was gaining experience and then partnered with a really solid group of people that brought that therapeutic part into the partnership. Very cool. That's awesome. I think it's really cool when you can combine two passions like that, you know, that your love of the travel and the adventure and Costa Rica and all that, and then adding that therapeutic lens to it um, is really cool. So what is, I would just love to know the difference because I think a lot of people know wilderness therapy, right? And when we think of wilderness therapy, we're like, okay, the, you know, these young people are out in the woods in Utah or Arizona or wherever, and they're camping with a big backpack and they're sleeping under a tarp. Um, what is different about adventure therapy and wilderness therapy, or are they different? Depends on who you ask. Uh, <laughs> okay. But in general, what I, what I would say is, will, you know, there are, there are a few different approaches or modalities. Wilderness therapy, as it began is just that wilderness. I mean, they're out in the wilderness. You're not seeing a building. You're not seeing a car. You're not seeing anything. You're out and it's, it's whatever time you're there, you are immersed in nature, removed from everything society. Really, um, you know, which is cool. I, I think super cool. Right. And, and there's, a certain group that that fits adventure therapy because you're doing adventure activities usually you've got to be what you call more front country uh, front country meaning you might be in a national park you might be around you know you might be in public and you know like our surf camp is on is in a national park it's right you know like they're not isolated from society and what that means is, is because we're doing mental health treatment, they have to have a certain level of stability and investment, right? They can't be, you know, really behavioral, for example. And, and because we are going into environments where we're saying, hey, you know, you kind of got to want to be here and you kind of got to want to, you know, do some work and have some insight on that for yourself because, yeah, I mean, if you want to go walk down the street and grab a beer, especially for a young adult, that that will be a possibility, you know, for someone that is maybe trying to get away from alcohol. And so, you know, it it allows us to to use adventure as as a process for connecting the therapeutic dots. So so that's like I kind of went through like like formal stuff. I think in terms of philosophy, what we're doing is adventure therapy is we're putting young people in challenging and maybe even uncomfortable situations where they have to tap into a part of themselves they haven't or they haven't been tapping into. And what I'll tell a family on the phone is Monday, Tuesday, we're at a base camp. We That's where the therapists do the individual and group work. Our field staff are part of that. The field staff are in the, you know, on the adventures the rest of the week. But it's it's when they're surfing or backpacking or camping under a tarp, depending on our itinerary, that that's where the magic happens. That's where they connect the dots. And that's where they have the, you know, awareness and and they also have their struggles and we're there to support them through their struggles. That's where they get triggered. That's where, you know, the work gets done. And so for somebody who's doing adventure therapy, they've most often done as much talking on the couch as they can do with, mm. without getting any progress. We're all about let's talk 
And then let's go do, let's move our bodies. And, you know, I could geek out if you let me, and I'm going to try and make my answer short on this podcast interview, but <laughs> there's so much science and such cool, you know, um, science and research going into the fact that people um, being in the outdoors calms our nervous system, helps our endorphins, helps our serotonin, like sights, the sounds, the smells, all of it is calming for the nervous system. And so, you know, there's, there's an added element of that. And one more thing, and then I'll let you ask the next question. (laughs) They're getting good sleep. Yes. They're getting good exercise. They're in the outdoors. They're taking their meds on time. If they take meds and every parent out there who's listening knows that their kids probably not taking their meds on time or free or so. So we have all these question marks of like, why are they depressed and all these things. And we're able to get a real baseline on sleep, eating healthy, getting exercise off their phones, taking their meds. And with just that, we can get a baseline and then we can get a real sense for what are we working with? Because there's so many aspects of mental health that come together. Yes. Well, I would love to geek out on on the science of it because I think it can feel, just coming from the parent's point of view, having been in the position where I've had to make some of these decisions about where am I going to have my son go to treatment, it's really confusing. And I don't know that we know that science. I don't know that we know there's actually data that shows whatever, you know, what like what you were just talking about with serotonin and all the endorphins that are going through their system and finding that baseline, I think is really important. So um, I think those are really good. And maybe you could advise what kinds of questions should a parent be asking? Because just totally frankly, I would think I'm not sending my kid to another country on an airplane (laughs) to hang out and go surfing. Like that just seems, A, it seems really risky or, you know, a kiddo who's not potentially not the most stable. Sounds really fun. And I think honestly, it can be hard as a parent to be like, yeah, I'm going to go send my kid to have a lot of fun. They've made my life living hell for the last three years, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot of um, questions that we have about that. Like, is this the right thing to do? What do you, what's your stance on that? Because I know you're, you're on the other end of it. I think it'd be really interesting to hear some of the, some of that science, but then also just from what you see happening as those kids are with you. Great questions. And I I would refer people to a book and I'm going to botch it. It's either nature on the brain or your brain on nature. And, you know, it, it, it goes into the, the science of it all so much so that there's a hospital where people who have had the same surgery, let's call it a pen, you know, uh, appendectomy, mm-hmm. one side of the hospital recovery floor faces a park, the other faces a parking lot. And the people like years and years of data, the people on the park side that see trees and, you know, nature um, consistently check out sooner. Wow. Stuff like that. Like, wow. like there's, there's a lot of that. So I'll leave it at that. But that book is what I would recommend for anybody who really wants to understand it better. I think, I think our field doesn't do a good enough job of pointing out that just nature alone is going to be healing and therapeutic. We all anecdotally know like, Hey, we like being outdoors. We like most people, you know, and I feel better after walking the park, but there's a lot of data and science and stuff you can look at to say, wow, this is pretty impactful. Um, 
Costa Rica. Who would send their kid to Costa Rica? Right? I, I want to go to Costa Rica. <laughs> I want to go right. and go surfing. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that one answer to that is, you know, we work really hard to, to work with the right client who's stable. So let me just say, if someone's op- super oppositionally defiant, or even a little, if someone's really behavioral, showing a lot of aggressive behaviors or addictive addiction, we don't deal with addiction in Costa Rica, right? We really bet for a high level of stability to come to our program. So what that means is our typical client is pretty nice, pretty sweet young person that is depressed, anxious, ADHD, executive functioning, sad, lonely, smoking too much pot, you know, that's the level of substance use. Maybe has dabbled in some of that harder stuff, but they're not an addict. They're not resistant. And, and so that's, that's who's getting on the plane to come to Costa Rica. If someone gets on the phone with me and they're like, they're highly addicted, you know, they disappear for days at a time, you know, that's a whole different level of of Mm -hmm. crisis that we're going to say, do please do not send your son or daughter to Costa Rica, please. You right. know, and I would say we work really hard at at that because sometimes people will call us and be like, well, they want to go to Costa Rica. I'd be like, I get that, but this is a safety issue for your family, your son or daughter. We're not we're not okay taking someone that's not appropriate for our program, even if they want to come. Right. Right. Um, the second part of your question was my kids being a pain in the but why am I going to send them surfing in Costa Rica? Interestingly enough, I got that question a lot seven, eight years ago. And I'd be so interested in the perspective of your listeners right now. I wish they could like, you know, I, like, know. Talk I always about wish it, like, it was two ways, <laughs> right? If they could give input on this, but in the last two, three years, parents are calling me saying, I don't want this to be punitive. I don't want it to be hard. Not that it was punitive before. Now they're saying, I don't want to punish my depressed 20 year old. Mm. I, I want them to feel happier. And I think philosophically, you know, for pure life and in Costa Rica, because we're taking a more stable client, you know, my, my response is, is just because they're depressed and all that comes with that, not doing their stuff. And that's not an excuse, not excusing it, but like, yeah, with depression, anxiety, ADHD, you know, executive functioning issues and all the things that come with it, they're not doing what they need to do. Yeah. And yeah, it can sound like, Hey, are we going to reward them by, you know, taking them surfing or whatever that may be? And the answer is it's not a reward, but yes, we're going to have fun in a very healthy way because they don't know that they can have fun healthily for a lot of them. They don't think they can have fun without their Xbox. They don't think they can have fun without their phone. They don't think they can have fun without weed. And if we can have fun while we're doing hard, gritty work at the same time and pushing them and challenging them and introducing them to discomfort, and we can have fun along the way, we're going to give them a whole new life skill that they can have the rest of their lives of man, when I was surfing, I felt great. When I was hiking, I felt great. When I was doing these things, I felt amazing. I felt accomplished. I felt good. And I had a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and so the way I tell families now is that we don't, we have a lot of fun. We don't apologize for it because just because someone's depressed or anxious doesn't mean, you know, they need to be not have fun to get better. There's other programs that are more appropriate for the 
for the like, Hey, yeah, your son or daughter is not getting it. And they're not ready for this, you know, this level of program. Right. So it sounds like then it may be for that kid who's more into the substance use or more serious, maybe suicidal ideation or something like that. They would need to go somewhere else first, get into a more stable place. And then would, would something like an adventure therapy program be a next step for that? after they've been to something else or how, how do you kind of determine like they're not good for us right now, but they could be down the road. Yeah. So I think adventure therapy programs in the States would be more willing to take harder Mm. behaviors because they're in the States. So I'm speaking to the Costa Rica aspect, right? Um, To your point, you know, um, like, there are programs that will take heavier substance use in the States that practice adventure therapy. We get a lot of clients with suicidal ideation, you know? And so we do get clients that maybe were hospitalized a few months ago, or maybe even sometimes a week ago, but they're stable, not just like, Hey, they were really bad. Then they're stable now, but like there was some stability they had a rough patch hospitalization is questionable. They're stable. We'll look at that and we'll be open-minded to, Hey, is this is this uh, a level of stability we're comfortable with? So I would say a lot of suicidal ideation comes into our program. Um, what I'm looking for is, do they have insight and can they name it and can they say, yeah, I'm I'm struggling with that and can we trust their level of reporting? Um, that's part of the stability that we're kind of looking for. In addiction cases, yeah, we've had clients that go get sober and then come to Pure Life hmm. for sure. You know, we want to see that they're that they're motivated to be sober, albeit a little bit, right? You know, drug seeking really, and I think you know what I mean. You know a lot about a lot of programs. There's programs for that, like drug seeking behavior where it's so, so, so tight. We're going to be staying in Costa Rica homes, you know, who's, and my thought is always, first, they're going to be around, you know, they're going to be guests in someone's home. Second, are they going to find a bottle of rubbing alcohol? If the answer is they're going to try there's other programs, you know, if the answer is they would have tried four months ago, but not now. Great. Let's go to coast, you know, come to pure life. And and so that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I was just wondering what the kind of what the um, cycle would be if somebody's in a program now and they know coming out of it, not feeling like coming home is the best idea. Just wondering if that's an option for kids who have already been to some other type of program. Totally. Yeah, totally. That and then oftentimes we're the primary placement as well. So one or the other. And sometimes I get families that are like, hey, if they get stabilized here, can they come? It's like, great. Absolutely. I have something new and really special to tell you about. If you're listening in real time, which means it's either December of 2022 or January of 23, you can join me for a six week kickstart coaching program where we're going to focus on a goal you have or an area of life where you are feeling stuck and will help you make progress in the first 60 days of the year. This is great for you if life feels a bit more stable and you're not living in chaos or crisis. It's perfect if your son or daughter is in treatment and you have a little bit of time to regain some of yourself or if they're in sober living or just plain doing well overall, and you know it's time to shift your attention away from them and back onto you. 
it is really common to lose ourselves when we have a child or children in crisis. So this coaching program is a chance for you to think about a goal or a dream that you have been putting off. Some examples of things that people have worked on in this program are starting the book that you want to write, reducing your sugar intake, starting a podcast, getting your life paperwork in order, starting a consistent movement practice, decluttering your home, and going back to school. There are lots of things that get put on hold, so if you're ready to start the year with focus and intention, and you know you could use some accountability and encouragement along the way, you can get the details at brendazane.com forward slash kickstart. I'll be holding an informational Q&A session via Zoom on January 5th. So if you want to join that call and just learn more about the program and ask questions, you can also do that at brendazane.com forward slash kickstart. Okay, I hope to see you there. And now let's get back to the conversation. Got it. All right. So what, you know, for parents whose kids are struggling with mental health, and especially I would love to sort of get your thoughts about pre and post COVID, but um, there's kind of this, I, this idea that I've read that you've talked about before of acting out and acting in. And I would love to just get your thoughts on what should parents be looking for? Because I think it's really confusing, especially if they're um, younger, maybe in the like, 12 to you know 16 age range you're never really sure is this just normal teenage behavior or is this something else and then as they get older it just gets really blurry especially if you're not necessarily with them all the time what what is this kind of concept of acting out and acting in yeah great question i think before covid I was getting a lot more calls that were like, Hey, they're out with their friends a lot. They, you know, they're, they're not listening to us. They're, they're out and about and we kind of don't know where they are and they're smoking too much weed and they're partying too much. And, you know, they're kind of being disrespectful, you know, and that, that was more the, the call kind of the drug, sex and rock and roll call before after COVID the call is they're not leaving their room. They're on their cell phone 12 hours a day. They have no friends. They don't want friends. They, or they don't, they don't know how to get them. Um, and I'm totally generalizing. Sure. I'm oversimplifying yeah. Yeah. this, but, <laughs> but just, this is kind of what I've noticed in the last couple of years. And so, um, you know, that's, I would say the the former would be more acting out. And, and the latter being more acting in for, for the context of conversation that I, I see acting out as aggressive, you know, they're violent in the home, they're violent out of the home, they're, they're scary to be around, they're destructive, you know, they're crashing cars, they're, you know, they're disappearing for days at a time, they're um, the F you kids, mm-hmm. you know, that to me is kind of how I would describe acting out. It's in some ways easier to spot and easier to treat in some ways. Yeah. The acting in is a lot more subtle. All right. And I put it into two or three categories. One being the mask. This is the, I'm fine. Everything's fine. No, no, I'm good. I will make you comfortable. And they're dying inside, you know, dying. They're falling apart inside, right? You see it in their grades. You see it in their isolation. You see it in their 
you know, inability to follow through on something that you're like, wow, they really should or could have. So that's one, I think, form of acting in. Um, another one is just pure isolation. And I'm seeing a ton of that. And it is, n- no, I'm not going. I don't want to. I don't have to. And I'm not going. And that's fine. And I'm fine. And I'll be in my room. Not de- not super defiant. It, you know, there's a de- passive defiance to it. But it's it's just like, I'll do the bare minimum if I have to. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of that since COVID. And, and that's tough. You know, that's tough. It's unhealthy. So, so you've got that. And then you've got the like, kind of like, yeah, like I'm smoking cannabis, no big deal. I can kind of do what I'm doing and kind of hold it together, you know, and um, maybe they're acting out a little more, but they're not, they're not in crisis, right? To me, that's acting in still. Um, They're probably listening. They're probably going to school. They're probably semi-functional or mostly functional, but something's definitely heading in the wrong direction and not going well. So those are the things I I would be looking for as a parent, you know, and I think that this isolation, I hope I don't take us on a tangent, but this is my theory on the isolation. And I think it's a byproduct of cancel culture and call-out culture. All right. This generation knows cancel culture and call out culture. You get online and you blow people up, criticize them. You find every little thing they did wrong and they're done. They're done for life. They never get to come back. And whether they've engaged in it or not, they've seen it. And so if I'm a kid who's insecure, which all of them are, I'm 44 and I'm insecure, you know, and I'm trying to figure out who I am in the world and I'm, you know, like school's rough, things aren't going well, I'm not good at this, that, or the other. And like, I've got, you know, a lot going on my plate and I'm spending X amount of hours a day on social media, seeing people get called out, seeing people get blown up and maybe to make myself better, feel better. I'm like, yeah, you, you know, this person sucks. We're done with them. Whatever it may be, text, social media, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever it is. I think the byproduct of all that is I'm not going out. Heck no, I'm not going to go to that party. I'm not going to be videoed saying the wrong thing or the, you know, you know, I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to, you know, try and do something at the school talent show. I'm out, Mm. out because it will be videoed and it will get blown up and I will be called out, canceled or whatever. I'm out. And that's that. No one said that to me. This is my theory. It could be way wrong, but I think that's what's going on with the isolation and the avoidance that I think we're seeing at a whole different level. Mm, and what, what I think of when you say that is a couple, a million things, but one is that as parents, we, I think what we see in social media can be equally as damaging, but it, I think it's different. And what, what we may not be seeing is that level of, like you said, the cancel culture, the calling out that kids are doing today. So we may say, yeah, social media drives me crazy or it sucks or whatever. But I think we're seeing something very different than what our kids are seeing when we are looking at our device. That's my theory. And also we just, because it is happening in their bedroom or in the basement on a phone, we don't know what's happening. Like as parents, we're oblivious to all of the crazy that can go on in here, right? In the phone. And so a lot of times what I hear from the the parents that I work with is things just aren't adding up. 
right? Like he used to do this or she used to do that. And then now I'm not seeing that anymore, but I can't think of anything that really happened. And then you throw a COVID in, which it's like, I don't know, do we call it a COVID thing? But I think a lot of times, just because I went through it with my son, there were things that happened in that phone that I did not know were going on until I did. And then I was shocked. And so we're just not seeing it and they're not telling us about it. And it's really damaging. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. It's, it's kind of this silent, you know, thing. I mean, I guess my kid gets bullied at school. There's a good chance someone's going to see it. Not always, but you know, there's, but if they're getting bullied online, man, a a private teenager could hold that tight for months and a parent wouldn't know. They just sort of withdraw. Right. And even if you think you know their social accounts, I am just saying you do not. (laughs) I'm just going to put it out there because I thought I was the parent who had all of the passwords and I thought I had all the accounts, you know, and I was looking at them. Oh no, I had no idea what was going on. He had accounts that, you know, I was completely shocked to find and then to see what was going on on those accounts. It was horrifying. And so I think if I'm just trying to kind of steer back to, like you said, what parents should be looking for, that isolation. What do you do about the mask? Because the mask is really hard. If it's like, I'm fine, everything's fine, I'm not talking about it, and they're still functioning, you know, still going to school, still able to keep it together, probably for a short amount of time. That it, That's hard to keep up for a long time. But what do you do about that? that kid who's putting on that mask and not letting any of the cracks show? That's the hardest one. It really is, you know? You got to look closer, push harder, dig deeper, awkward conversations. Yeah. You know, which none of us want to have, especially if we've got three or four kids, you know, Amy over here saying everything's fine. And Johnny's the one that's acting out and getting all of our attention. And then a year or two later, Amy's the one that is failing out of school all of a sudden, right? And Mm -hmm. I don't mean to be gender specific about that, but. Well, I was actually going to ask you if you see that more in girls, because I do hear that, that girls carry this, this load differently and that they, that parents, what I hear is I I hear that more about daughters than I do about sons, I guess is the way to say that. Do you see that or, or is it pretty evenly? I see, I see a lot of both. But, but yeah, if I think, I think a little more of the girls, you know, and it's, it's easier to, I think we believe girls more. I don't know, yeah. you know, maybe that's it, but you know, it's, it's, and you know, maybe girls are able to hold it together a little longer, albeit that they're struggling underneath it all. And so I think having, I'm a huge believer in like 12 to 13 to like whatever age you need that any parent should do their best to have mentors around that, that, that the kids know you trust and that you can be like, that's your, like, go, go to aunt and uncle, go to aunt Susie's, tell her we're awful, but tell her everything, Yeah, you know, or, or go to coach so-and-so or, you know, maybe at church, they've got somebody go to pastor so-and-so go. Mm-hmm. And I see so many parents being like, no, 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 no. Talk to us. Talk to us. We're, 
developmentally teenagers are individuating that's why they hate their parents and that's why they push them away they're saying no i don't want you you don't know what you're talking about we and like we all did it yeah. our, all of our kids do it with very few exceptions and very few and that's when i want a few people i want my kids to know there's a few people in our circle where they can go and tell them everything and that's in my opinion for the masking person that's my hope for them. And part of that is letting them know you trust this person and encouraging them. Like, you don't want to talk to me, go talk to them. And it, you know, a therapist obviously can fit that role, but won't mm-hmm. always. And so, you know, having people like that in your community, I think is, is really important. And we lost yeah. that in COVID a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, we're getting back to it, but, the, the masking in is also, I think, you know, where I see it in our program is the masking students are the ones that show up the first week. They step out of their comfort zone. They drop cannabis, you know, all this stuff. A lot of students show up the first day or two and I prepare them for this. And I'm like, you're going to feel really uncomfortable and you're going to want to leave. <laughs> like, like you just are. And you're in a new place, new people, you know, you're you checking in your phone, your choice, your decision. You're like, I'm not pushing you, but like, that's our program. And you're going to be really uncomfortable. It's the ones that are the first week. They're like, this is awesome. This is great. I feel, you know, yeah, everything's great. Everything's good. Everything's, you know, yeah, I got depression. Yeah. I'm working on, Oh, I've gotten so much better. And that person three, four weeks in, boom, um, you know, that's where we see it. It takes a lot to break those walls down for them in a place where they're unable to hide mm-hmm. um, from their peers or from whoever. And they eventually get to a point where like, I hate this. I hate life. I hate you all. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? That has it's to like, be so interesting to see that. Let's, let's do some work. Let's oh. do some work. You know, we got you, we care about you. And, and, you know, and they're like, okay, yeah, you're right. This is, this is what I've been doing the whole time underneath it all. But, you know, it, it, it takes some time in, 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 in an uncomfortable space with pushing, which it's hard for a parent to do. Right. That's a, right. That would be hard for a parent to do, I think, in a, without so much structure around to help kind of pull that out. For sure. And that we're just not trained, right? It's like, well, I've never been trained how to have these conversations or how to dig underneath and really really see what's going on. And then I, I think too, what you said about um, finding a baseline, because I think a lot of times we're trying to do work with our kids and our kids are so dysregulated with so much weed and so much social media and all of that, that they're so all over the place. And we're trying to be like, here, let's have a conversation. So if you can get them stabilized. When I say stabilized, I don't mean like, you know, they were crazy, but just removing some of those distractions, the weed, all of that to get to like, oh, here's the original you. <laughs> like here's yeah. here's the you without all of the other stuff. And then working from there just seems to make a lot of sense. And and it may not be pretty, right? right? You 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 remove all that stuff. And it, it may not be pretty. It may be depressed. You know, I want, I'm a, I'm a sensitive person. I take on energy. I want my kids to be happy and tell me they're great. And I'm likely to reinforce that in them in the, like, how was your day? 
Oh, it was good. Oh, good. Okay. I'm so glad. Like you're good. I'm good. You know what I mean? And and so what may be underneath the I'm good dad, everything's great dad is might be a really like, no, I'm not. No, things are not good. I and and that's where we all have to be open to what's underneath it all. And I think that you see it in addiction recovery a lot, where the addicts, you know, someone in the throes of addiction is, you know, they're they're not their best self. And sometimes you remove all that addiction and they get sober and they're still kind of a jerk. And yeah. now we have to deal with that, not deal with them, but deal with the fact that, yeah, maybe they're not who I want them to be. And as a parent, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing as the years go on, I'm a young parent, parent of young kids. I'm not a young parent, but, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure the day will come where I've got to reconcile the fact that my kids aren't perfect and I've got to be okay with that in order for to be okay with them and for them to be healthy. Yeah. Well, and I think too, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, if we want our kids to be okay with not being okay, then they have to see us be that way. So if I'm always saying, Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, I'm, you know, mom's great. Mom's mom has no problems. Then it doesn't really show my son or my daughter that it's okay to have problems because everything's fine, right? If I'm putting on the mask, then I've just taught my child how to put the mask on. And I think we do that because we don't know, we don't want our kids to see us hurting because we don't know what that's going to do to them. And so I think we just have to know that we're going to get back what we, what we put out there. And so that just, that just keeps coming to mind for me as I know parents are under so much stress and so much strain, even if your kids aren't struggling with anything, right? Even if you have fabulous kids who are really well adjusted, it's still hard. So um, that's, that's a good thing. Just if you had the opportunity to stand in front of a thousand parents and tell them something based on everything you deal with, with families and kids and adventure and therapy, what would you want to say to them today? Two things. First thing I would say is you've inherited the most difficult parenting climate, I think probably for hundreds of years. Because the acceleration of technology, you've inherited that. And there all the all the hours and work and effort in the world are not going to change the fact that you just inherited this uncontrollable beast. And so take a deep breath and, and <laughs> pat yourselves on the back because what you've inherited is damn near impossible yeah. in a lot of ways. Not to say we can't put a lot of work and effort into it, but I mean, okay, yeah, my kid doesn't have an Xbox. Well, he goes to the neighbors and plays Xbox for four hours a day. Or my kid you know, doesn't have a cell phone or doesn't have social media. Okay. Well, they're left out. Like there's not easy solutions. There's not just do this and you guys will be great. You did it all wrong and you've blown it. No, you've inherited like some impressive technology that's done a lot of good for the world and is really cool. And that has borne a whole new set of issues that we do not know how to deal with. We don't. I mean, even my program phones put away, we're in the outdoors that takes a lot of work and structure and it's a huge commitment. And some people just say, no, we're not doing it. I've had young adults be like, dude, I'm not, I'm not going to give up my phone. I'll be like, I get it, man. You know, like I get it. Yeah. That's your call. And, and that's, that's saying a lot, I think. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I would say 
is if you can give your kids one thing besides kindness and respect and good manners, if you could give your kids one thing, it would be that I would say would make the biggest difference in their adult life. It's grit and resilience. And we've gotten away, we've gotten away from it. Like we don't, we don't, and it's tough because we're coming off of like my generation, you know, was raised tougher in parents raised us tougher. We didn't talk about feelings as much. You know, I had great, wonderful nurturing parents, but you know, you had, you, things weren't going well and it's, I don't care, toughen up, cowboy up man up right we were saying like okay there's toxic masculinity and you know i had coaches that that frequently told me i do not care how you feel right you know i care how much effort you're putting in you know and we've become kind of critical of that is it always healthy no it's not and i think it definitely needs you know is is worth revising and looking at and being right. thoughtful in how we're communicating that but i feel like we've kind of swung the other way of like yeah, you know, like, okay, we don't expect much from you because mm. you don't feel good today. The reality of that is, as an adult with a lot of responsibilities, we don't get to do that. Right. And yes, we can do that for our kids, but don't do too much of it. Yeah. Right. We, we do need to do that while they're growing and we're nurturing them and they're developing. Yes, we do need to provide that safety for sure. And we also need to make sure they know that it's really important to us that they're that they're strong and we believe that they're strong and we believe they're capable even when they don't feel good mm. or don't feel like it or whatever it may be and so i have twin four-year-olds boy and a girl so i could use all the advice any listeners email me if you got advice for four-year-olds i'm all ears you know i have more experience with teenagers and young adults right. but but like this week i said to my kid like i want i want you to practice grit and he's like, what's grit, dad? And I've been trying to define that for him all week because I keep coming back to it. Like, hey, bud, I want you to be gritty right now, you know, and and I want you to be resilient. Obviously, I'm not doing it when I'm, I'm finding appropriate times right. for this. I'm trying right. to be a nurturing parent, too, right. you know, but but finding opportunities to be like, hey, bud. You know, when we were at the soccer game and it was really cold and you were getting rained on and you came over and you're like, dad, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And I was like, hey, your teammates need you. And you're like, yeah, dad, I got this. I'm I'm good. I'll, I want to. OK, yeah, I'll go play again. You know, that was gritty, bud. And I'm proud of you. Obviously, I never would have asked him to do anything unsafe. Right. 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 But trying to to use the language that they can then fall back on to say, I understand this concept and it's very important and I develop it. I practice it. I, I, I am capable of it. Um, and I think that the, the, the pendulum that's gone really well in parenting in the last 10 years or whatever is, is the, I'm listening to, I'm validating as well. Right. I'm, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be scared and it's okay not to have to do this. You don't have to do this if you don't want to. We say that just as much to our kids, but I'm also starting to say grit, resilience. Guys, this is something we do, and, and I want us to practice. Dad needs it. Yeah. I have a rough day at work. There's days I want to go to the office. Right. I need grit just to get out of the door if if I'm struggling. So I want to start trying to pass that on to my kids now. It's a life skill. And I think, my I guess my concern, and I don't know that I'm right, 
but my fear is that we're starting to sort of villainize grit, you know, and resilience in the mess of, you know, toxicity. Yeah. And and that's not an e- that's not easy to define the two, quite frankly. There's not. And I think a lot of what we were raised on was, dare I say, toxic at times. Mm-hmm. It was very normal 20 years ago. Right, and it, right. And we're saying, well, it was actually really good for us. I think a lot of us are saying that. Um, you know, and so it's tough because we're starting to understand trauma better, toxicity, all these things. With that, we still need to expect more, like expect strength from our kids and expect them to be strong when when they can be. Yeah. And then to be there to catch them when they can't be. Yeah. No, you're right. It's such a tough balance to not not swing too far one way or the other. And and as a parent, how do you know where where that, you know, good where the pendulum is in the right range, I guess, because obviously you have days where you're this or that. Um, but as long as you know you're sort of in the right range as you swing one way or the other, it's really hard to know. And especially when you have multiple kids and they all have their own personalities and they all have their own kind of, you know, levels of tolerance for discipline or grit or, you know, any of that. Um, it can be like a Rubik's cube <laughs> as you're trying to, you know, find the, find the right way to be. So, um, awesome. Well, that's, that's really good. I love that. It's something that I, I always strive for too, is thinking about that. When is it okay to say, I'm not going to do this. And I'm not just tapping out because I just don't want to do it. So it's tricky, even for ourselves. I think it gets really tricky to know when am I being the right level of resilience. Yeah. And I'm 20 years from now, let's do another podcast and my and I'll tell you all the things I did wrong. You know, <laughs> I, know. I, I know. I went toe to toe with my four-year-olds this morning. They were sitting at the table eating breakfast, like, Dad, Dad, we want water. I was like, Great. Your water bottles are in your bedroom. Like you know where to find them. They have water in them. You're good to go. And they were like, no, I want you to get it. And I went, to, I was like, you, <laughs> I, I'm total nerd. I'm like, I, I'm happy to help you, bud. You're capable to go get your own water. And, and I, it's important to me that you can go do that. You know, of course, again, this is how I'm going to screw up my kids. They're going to be like, <laughs> like dad was so, you know, give us these speeches over a water bottle at breakfast. Like dad, just go get it. You know, but anyway, right. I'm like, like, Right. But I'm thinking 20 years ahead. I'm thinking like, hey, no, bud, you're you're actually very capable to get your water bottle right now. Yeah. And I'm 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 correcting the other way. So um, <laughs> That's well, yeah. I I love all of it. And um I think this is really helpful information. And we always like to get the inside scoop on what people in the field are seeing with our kids um, because I think it's really different. So it's, it's great to have that perspective and thanks for coming on and we will book a time 20 years in the future and come back and see how your kids are doing. <laughs> if, if I decline that, you'll know. Okay. You'll if know. you, if you decline <laughs> that meeting request. <laughs> nope. Brenda don't want to talk about it. I was wrong. Let's just put it that way. You know, I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks, Andrew. We will put links in the show notes to the book that you mentioned. We'll figure out if it's your brain on nature or nature on your brain. We'll make sure and put a link to that as well as um, Pure Life uh, Adventures and 
your website and all that so people can find it. So thanks for being with me today. Thanks, Brenda. I always enjoy our conversations. Thanks for what you're doing. Of course. Okay, that is it for today. If you would like to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to brendazane.com forward slash podcast. All of the episodes are listed there, and you can also find curated playlists there. So that's very helpful. You might also want to download a free ebook I wrote. It's called Hindsight, Three Things I Wish I Knew When My Son Was Misusing Drugs. It'll give you some insight as to why your son or daughter might be doing what they are. And importantly, it gives you tips on how to cope and how to be more healthy through this rough time. You can grab that free from brendazane.com forward slash hindsight. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. And I hope that these episodes are helping you stay strong and be very, very good to yourself. And I will meet you right back here next week.